right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of the Basketball and Bullshit Podcast. Uh, as always, I'm your host, uh, excuse me, your host, Colton Chumbly. And uh, after about a two-month hiatus, uh, you know, we took a little break there. We are officially switching up our lineup here just a little bit. Um, as most of you guys know, I'm usually here with my co-host, Jay Arnold, Ted Heidinger. Um and unfortunately, we had to send those dudes to the G League in order to open up a little roster spot here for uh, the sharpshooting Mr. Aubrey Bloom. <laughs> AB, what's going on, brother? Hey, not much. Good to, good to be on here. Good to be talking Aggie Hoops in the summertime. It's a, it's a, it's a fun time. Dude, dude, it's a little odd, right? I mean, we got so much news circulating the program right now. And we're almost in June. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's wild when you have that kind of that first – you know, head coach roster turnover part of the year, you, you have that off season where there's a lot more news than usual. And we're definitely in the middle of that right now. No question, man. No question. But, you know, before uh, we get rolling here, just real quick, um, why don't you uh, give our listeners just a quick rundown about your experience covering the program, man? Because, uh, you know, like we talked about a little bit before we started recording, uh, you know, you've been around the program for a while, dating back to your time in college. So why don't you just uh, run through that real quick? Yeah, so when I was in college, was a you know my freshman year was the was the, the last Melvin year, so I, so I've seen as bad as it can get. <laughs> um, I, I was a student mostly during the, the Gillespie years, so um, you know I was the Reed Rowdy's president back then, and, and you know got to kind of know the program pretty well. And then I covered every coach after that. I, I covered uh, Turgeon when he was there uh, for both rivals and twenty four seven sports. I, I covered the Kennedy era. Um, a lot for uh, for the Eagle and for 24-7 sports as well. So definitely been around the program for a few different coaches and really kind of see the difference, uh, you know, in those guys and, and then kind of what it looks like now. So it'll be interesting to see these, these next few months. Dude, how bad must the Reed Rowdy section been during the Melvin Watkins era? Oh, my yeah, God. So it was bad, but I don't know. It was, I guess it was a little bit different because we'd always been bad. There wasn't that like, oh, are we ever going to be good again? Sort of, you know, you, like you didn't know what you were missing. So it was right. almost fun. It was almost fun because it was so bad that there was like nobody there. So you could go and like trash talk opposing players and you knew they could hear you because there was like 20 people in the arena so <laughs> i don't know it had its own draw to it but certainly a, a different era oh dude that's awesome <laughs> man uh you know i, I want to di- dive right on in so um you know i think really man the first thing that pops out in regards to aggie basketball right now is uh probably the roster turnover uh you know so i so i figured we we try to start out there obviously we got dudes like brandon mahan and you know john walker the third uh all the way to a starter like admon gilder who's no longer going to be on the team so uh just one by one how big of a loss do you think each of these guys are i mean admon gilder is a, is a huge loss and there's no real way around that i i think I think maybe some of our fans overrate how good he is a little bit, but but a great player. I mean, potential to be an all SEC kind of guy, and then to lose him completely. Now it is softened a little bit by the fact that he didn't play last year. So at, at least you you don't have a guy who was a, a 30, 35 minute guy last year, and then you've got to replace him along with all the others. But still. You know, if they would have gotten him back, that would have been a huge boost to this roster. And then the other thing that hurts about him is now you've got to play him. So we play Gonzaga this year. So the fact that, that he's going to Gonzaga hurts a little bit because not only are they going to play him, they're probably going to play him in Reed Arena. So that's going to be a little bit of a, you know, a potential top 10 Gonzaga team coming in here and 
putting one on your head for, with one of your former players isn't <laughs> isn't going to be a great look. But but hopefully, you know, they pull some guys in. Uh, you know, I think they. I think you've got a lot of potential there. The other two, I don't think are huge blows. I mean, Brandon Mahan couldn't play defense, and we talked a little bit about that on Twitter. Uh, you know, like, he was an occasional sharpshooter, but, I mean, for the most part, horrible defensive player, and his shot wasn't good enough to offset that. And then Walker was a project guy, you know, could have been good down the road, certainly had a, a good kind of knack for making things happen. But as, as far as, you know, I, I don't think you're going to miss him a lot on next year's team. Right. Uh, you know, I'm kind of right there with you when it comes to, to Admon. I mean, I think him not being in the fold last season uh, really softens that blow. And uh, you're not, you know, I, th- I think him being gone allowed a guy like J.J. Chandler to kind of get in the mix a lot more and see some valuable minutes. But um, in, in regards to Mayhan, yeah, yeah, I'm also going to have to agree with you. But the guy who I was actually pretty upset with losing had to be Walker. I, I think that He's a guy who had a really kind of an odd skill set for a dude who was 6'10 and, you know, had the wingspan that he did. I mean, uh, sure, dude was skin and bones, but showed he had a pretty decent, uh, you know, three-point shot from beyond the arc. He was a pretty solid passer. And uh, it seemed like, you know, he just had – he played really instinctive on defense, I think. You know, he was a guy who rotated really well. He knew how to move his feet a little bit. So I I think that was a guy who down the line – uh, you know, had some, you know, positive basketball, uh, uh, you know, ahead of him. So th- th- that was that was the one dude who I was pretty upset with on my end. Yeah, like I said, he's a, he's a project. He could have become a good player. You, you like to think that a guy like Buzz Williams with that kind of national name recognition could recruit players as good as Walker was already. So, you know, I, I think that I think he does have some potential. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a good player down the road, but but not someone who you were really counting on to make an impact next season anyway. So if, if he's not on board with the new program, you know, I don't think that's a huge loss. Right. Well, you know, that that kind of segues us into uh, my next point is, you know, replacing those guys. Uh, you know, there's going to be a slew of new faces, um, you know, uh, with new additions um is there anybody in particular that that you're excited about um yeah the, the guy i'm most excited about because you mentioned the guys that left but is the guy that came back this week getting Savion flag back is, <laughs> is is bigger than any other guy coming in i mean he's arguably he may be your best player anyway you know full stop he, he definitely was the best this year uh, you know, so I kind of hijacked your question here a little bit, but I mean, I think I think Savion Flag coming back is as good a news as we could have possibly had anytime soon. Because yeah, I mean, there's so many new guys coming in next year that I don't even want to really get into the specifics of them because none of them are particularly, you know, like is this guy going to be a twenty, you know, a thirty minute a night kind of guy? I don't, I don't know that any of them are necessarily that. And by getting Savion Flag back, you don't really need them. To be that, so I, I think that's a huge move and, and a, a giant, op- like a big uh, feather, sort of in the in the cap of the off season of being able to have Savion Flag. Because now you get basically a starting five back, so you're not really relying on any of those new faces to be super impact type players. And that's not to say any of them won't be, but I, I think that is by far the biggest, you know, maybe somewhat unexpected addition. I don't know how – it always gets a little nervous when coming to guys to clear for the draft, and, and A&M hasn't had any luck in basketball with those guys, like, ever coming back. So I, I think that was as big a news as we're going to get. Uh, you think uh, Flag's a guy who's going to end up leading the team in scoring again? 
No, I, you know, if I had to pick, I'd, I'd say probably TJ Starks, you know, because I, I think he, and this may be a, a sort of a different question, I, I think TJ Starks is the guy who might benefit the most from this coaching change um, because the talent that he has is undeniable. I, from a raw skill set, he can do things that, that nobody else on the team can. Uh, he's got one of the fastest first steps in all of college basketball. He just has to be a more consistent and a more and a smarter player. And so if he can make it through this offseason, and we've heard – you know, Buzz Williams' off seasons are no joke. So just because they're on the roster now doesn't mean they'll still be on the <laughs> roster in October. But but if he can make it, then I, I think he's probably, you know, him or Flag are the one-two punch. One of them is going to be the best player. The other one's going to be the second best player. But those guys, you know, people forget coming out of high school, they were big-time recruits. I mean, they've got all SEC caliber talent, those two guys do. And also Chuck Mitchell, I think, in that mix too. So I, I think by getting Flag back, you, you certainly have a – Definitely a backcourt rotation. Consider, I, I consider Flag kind of a hybrid player, but but you've got a backcourt rotation that has some pretty good experience and some pretty good talent. So so we'll see. But I I, I would have to put my money on TJ Starks. Right. You, you know I, I don't disagree. And you know circling back to Flag a little bit, I think he was a guy who played in a system that really did anything but you know, cater to his game. Uh, you know, I, he, he was a guy who looked lost at times because he wasn't necessarily put into, into situations that I thought he could thrive in. Yet he still put up, what do you average, 15 and 8 on the season? Yeah, and then even more than that in SEC play. Right. The, the bigger thing he did last season was he had to eat so many minutes. I mean, he was out there playing 35, 40 minutes a game at times. Which and and guarding positions one to five on top of that. Yeah, which you don't want to do anyway, but you definitely don't want to do on a team that's not any good. <laughs> like, um, you don't want to be having to just kill a guy on a team that's not making it. It was a little bit different when Advon Gilder did it, and that team still had a chance at the NCAAs, but, but that team last year did, did never had that chance. So so I don't know, that kind of hurt a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting. I, I think calling it a, a system – that he was playing under is maybe overstating what it was. But, but um, yeah, I, I think certainly that Buzz has to get that ability to put guys in a system that will benefit them. That's one thing we've seen from him pretty consistently is his teams don't necessarily have one set system. There'll be years they shoot a lot of threes. There are years they play fast. There's years they play slow. You know, he just he changes it a lot based on his personnel. And so I think that's going to be good for the players because I think both – Starks and Flag were both kind of set up to fail the way that last season's kind of rotations and whatever that is we were doing on offense was of just not being able to show the things they're good at. Oh, no question. You know, especially when you look at that, that, that was one thing, and we talked a lot about this on the podcast, man, is last season's team had a lot of talent on it. There were a lot of guys who if they're put in a position to succeed and they're not asked to overextend like a guy like TJ Starks was you know, that team had a lot of potential on it. Yeah, I mean, I think there was good pieces. It should have been it's it's the classic with, with anything with Kennedy. There were there were some legit reasons why last year's team was never going to be real good, but it should have been a lot better than it was. And, you know, I think a big part of that was just not having that sort of flow. It ever it seemed like everyone was being asked to do things that they're not particularly good at. I mean, um, dude, for, for the love of God, at one point in time, Savion Flag was taking the ball up the court as a point guard. Yeah, but that's because they couldn't uh, – well, I mean, the core problem, and hopefully this is something that I would love it if we see this in the first game, but we've been so bad at setting screens under Billy Kennedy oh that we God, could yeah. never get anybody open. So it doesn't matter if you're running like some kind of 
hybrid Princeton offense that's like three levels of basketball intelligence above everybody else. If nobody can ever get open off a screen, then nothing is going to work. And that was the core problem. So you're asking guys like like TJ Starks, who's already kind of hit or miss as a passer, to have to make these extremely difficult passes. And it was just never going to work. And instead of change, it was just like, you know, running into the brick wall over and over and over <laughs> again. I mean, it was unbelievable. You know, you uh, kind of segued us perfectly into what I wanted to ask you next, and I feel bad a little bit because this is kind of a loaded question here, man, but how how would you summarize uh, the Billy Kennedy era? I just think that, you know, the easiest way to, to summarize it is we were never quite as good as we should have been. So even the years that we were good, we should have been better. And then the years we were bad, we should have been at least mediocre. I think that was the biggest problem. So, I mean, you had some years that we were pretty good, but even those years at the end, it felt like we underachieved a little bit. I, and I think that was the biggest problem. You know, if you, if you take a step back and you just look at the results, the Kennedy era wasn't all that bad, especially compared to eras we've had before it. And if you kind of write off his first couple of years with the, the Parkinson's diagnosis and all of that stuff, and, you know, I, I, if you can kind of leave that aside – the last four or five years were not all that bad, but it's this you had to watch it night in and night out. It was just brutal at times because you knew the team was capable of more. And I think that's the problem is is he was able to get guys in the program that should have been better on the court than what we saw. Right. Well, you know, it, it was it's kind of strange because I wrote that question down because it it's just sort of an awkward answer because there's some really special moments in the Kennedy era. You know what I mean? Like 2016 was special. See, see, seeing guys like Caruso and House who, you know, played their ass off their entire careers finally get some recognition and, and you know, taste some success. I think that that team ended up winning uh, the conference title regular season uh, in the SEC. You know, that, that that's special. Seeing the team, you know, kick North Carolina's teeth in in North Carolina to go to the Sweet 16. I mean, th- those are those are both seasons that will go down as historically some of the best in school history, but – they're all surrounded by just a tarp of lousy basketball, underachieving teams, and, and just some of the most excruciating and embarrassing losses I've ever witnessed. Yeah, the embarrassing losses were as big of it as anything. I mean, like last, I, I almost think he could have survived last season until, you know, even because the you know, ups and downs in non conference, but that the home game against Missouri oh, was yeah. one of the worst basketball games i've ever seen and i was there in 2003 when we lost to Anna corpus at home you know like <laughs> it was just an absolutely pathetic showing and it got to the point where the fans were just checked out i mean there were games this year and i live here in college station <laughs> and there were games that it was like Ugh, i mean do we really want to go like i know we have season tickets we live here in town but wouldn't it be more fun to not go to this game and when that <laughs> when that starts happening it's time to move on and i, I think there was a little bit of that this year no, no question, and yeah, and you know, I have this written down. Uh, you kind of highlighted quite a few of them, but is there one blunder in particular from BK's time that that you think is the worst of them all? Um, you know, I I think it's a a good example of just the whole problem with that era was the use of Tyler Davis. So this was a guy that was one of the best college basketball players I had ever seen. And it felt like we never quite put him in the spot we really needed to, to be at our best. And then all of a sudden we get to North Carolina and we're playing this kind of wild, 
you know, strategy that we've never done before. And we just decimate North Carolina, like you talked about. So I think to it was almost more frustrating seeing how good that looked in that one game and not seeing it any other time the whole time he was here. That I, I think that was the big thing is you would see these flashes from guys, but then we just we never use them the way that they should be used all the time. We would you know, he talked all last offseason that we were going to play faster. We were going to shoot more threes. We were going to do all this kind of stuff. And we get into the season and we look just like the team we always looked like. And that was the kind of annoying thing is this sort of, you know, I, I guess empty promise would be the, the way to put it of the we were going to change our style. And we never changed our style. We were the same team in year one as we were in year six or year eight or whatever it ended up being. So I, I think that was the biggest thing was just not adapting to his people. No question. Uh, obviously, I mean, that, that that's what's kind of insane. And it's really, it's kind of poetic justice when you look at BK's time is that 2017, 2018 season should have historically been one of the best ever. And it was probably one of the most frustrating of his entire like career here. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that, that was a team with so much talent uh, that they, they end up in the top 10 before conference play starts. And then what they lose six straight, four straight, something like that to open up SEC yeah. play. Well, and that was, I mean, and that's what I mean by the classic, like BK, that was the classic problem with, with analyzing the BK tenure is that there was a lot of reason for that losing streak. You had at various times, you had Admon Gilder get hurt. Uh, Robert Williams got hurt. Uh, you had uh, some, uh, Dwayne, I can't think of his name right now, got hurt too. The the point guard from Mar- Marquette, the transfer, got hurt. Oh, yeah, Wilson, right, right. Yeah, Dwayne Wilson. You're getting all these different guys, you know, hurt. But then on top of that, you have all of these suspensions. And that, and this is what I talked about at the time, it, it speaks to a lack of leadership in the program when you have basically everyone on the roster get suspended at some point. So... Like every single player on that team, except for I think Tyler Davis and Savion Flag, maybe, or maybe JJ Chandler, got suspended for at least one game that season. And you can't have that in a season that is supposed to be the, the best season you've ever had in school history. You have your whole team getting suspended at various times of the year. Um, and that's just a lack of leadership. I mean, that right there is the whole problem with the whole era is you have these legitimate excuses there were legitimate injuries but then on top of that you have this just crap of these guys getting suspended and a complete lack of leadership in the program and i I think that's what almost brought down that season they were able to kind of bounce back from it at the end but stuff that wasn't due to injury almost brought that whole year down you you know it's funny because we're kind of turning back the clock here and getting getting a little off chart but I remember when Davis, Ho, Gilder, um, and what, what was it? Was it Elijah Thomas? Was that the, that the kid who transferred out, went to Clemson? Yeah. Right. So so I, I remember when those guys uh, come in and they're looked at as, you know, easily the best recruiting class Texas A&M has ever signed. And how would you rate those guys now that when it's all said and done? Do you think they're still up there with, uh, I think it was the class that brought in Sloan and Brian Davis and uh, Derek Rowland that that's, kind of arguably uh you know one of the best as well where where do you rank them yeah i mean i I don't think you can rank them as high as the other one because they they didn't have that full they didn't get to make the full impact right i mean i think there's really three classes you can talk about and and one of them is still here but yeah that class the sloan roland davis class um yeah, you're talking about the the Gilder Hogue, um, Tyler Davis class. You know, I think those guys because of Gilder's injury, he didn't play last year. 
Tyler Davis only playing three years, DJ Hogue only playing three years. You know, I, I think that class had as much potential as the other one, but didn't make the impact. The other class made the tournament all four years. So I think you've, even though there was other classes around them, I think that class has to get the edge. Now, there is still some time for the class that was J.J. Chandler, T.J. Starks, and Savion Flag. I mean, that's the other big class that was a top 25 group coming in, and, and those guys are all going to be juniors this year. And it seems like, so far, those guys have, are sticking with the coaching change. So we'll see what kind of impact that they can make. But, but yeah, I, I think for what you expected out of that class coming in, the impact they made their freshman year, I mean, t- people forget Tyler Davis started almost every game as a freshman on that 15-16 team to just, they didn't quite have that sort of impact that you had hoped. And I don't know how much of it's their fault, but they just, didn't and so I, I think for me it's still the 06 class right well you know looking to the future man uh, obviously you've spoken really high on buzz so it sounds like you're pretty excited for that hire but uh you know as, as most people were i mean i was a guy who was kind of clamoring for him to take the job in 2014 <laughs> uh to be completely honest with you but uh obviously he has a proven system in his corner and and you know he's very versatile in his approach and he's, he's turned things around at marquette did the same deal at Vatek. Uh, but how do you think the current roster complements his philosophy? Yeah, that's the good thing about his philosophy is he doesn't really seem to have a set philosophy, and I, I think that's what's nice. But the big thing is, you know, unlike Virginia Tech and really a little bit like Marquette, he does have some elite pieces, certainly one or two here. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see because in some ways – a coach almost wishes he could completely tear the roster down his first year and almost have that first year as kind of a throwaway year. But I don't think he's going to have that. I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how good this year's team is because, like we said, that starting five is not elite, but that's pretty good. I mean, you're going to be hard-pressed to find another starting five in the SEC other than probably Kentucky that has that kind of talent coming back. So I, I think you're you're in a situation where if one or two of these new guys is any good, you might have a chance, you know, to be at least a a tournament team, a fringe kind of tournament team his first year. So it'll be interesting how much of it is he tries to, does, does he kind of mold the guys towards his system slowly? Or is it a, Hey, we play this way on day one. We might lose some non-conference games because of it, but we're going to be better for it in February and March. So I think that's going to be the interesting thing because certainly we saw with Kennedy and I'm part of, again, that his first year is so hard to analyze because of the diagnosis and the late diagnosis and all that kind of stuff. But, but we basically tried to play the way that our players already knew how to play. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of style we come out in right away. What is the leash like on a guy like TJ Starks earlier in the season, knowing that he's going to make some mistakes as, as he moves into this new system uh, and things like that. So, I, I think I think there's, it'll be interesting, uh, you know, the fact that those guys are back, Flag, Starks, Chandler, uh, Nebo, uh, Mitchell. I think those are exciting players to watch. So I think it gives you guys, I think it gives fans a reason to want to go to the non-conference game. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited just to see because this is not going to be a throwaway year. He's got some pretty good players on this team. Yeah or nay? You think uh, the Aggies are dancing in March? Uh, you know, probably not. But I think we're going to be close. I, I think it's going to be a fringe kind of bubble team. Uh, you know, if if, if if I'll say, I'll put it this way: If if TJ Starks is still on the roster when the season starts, then then yes, I think we'll make the tournament. You really think there's that big of a chance that uh, that Starks jumps ship? 
Yeah, well, just because we don't know, right? I mean, it's one thing to stay for a couple of weeks. It's another to stay for, through the first summer. And I, I think that he has so much potential. Is he, and because he's probably never been asked to put in this kind of work, is he willing to put in that work? And it's so it's less of, of that I think he'll jump. It's more if he doesn't, I think he'll be that good. Of Because to me, he is an elite player. And, you know, I think if he stays, sticks it out, then I think I think we're that good because he's that good. This is sounding eerily similar to another uh, left handed point guard <laughs> that, that, that I know of. <laughs> yeah. And I think raw talent wise, I think he's better. I, you know, I've had arguments with my friends about this, but that is a but, scorching hot take, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I mean, he's not better as a player at this point. But from a raw talent standpoint, he's quicker. He certainly faster. Um, you know, he's more athletic. You know, AC could barely dunk the ball. <laughs> so, right. um, I, so I think from a raw athleticism talent standpoint, I, I think he's got all those tools and then some. It's just does he have that mentality that AC had um, that, that maybe Savion Flag has now. If he can get that kind of mentality, then, then I mean, really, just, he's an NBA player if he, if he can. Um, and not like a fringe guy. He's one of the few players we've had on around A&M that, that could be a legitimate NBA player. Wow. <laughs> well, hey, man, uh, A.B., thanks again, brother. Uh, you know, we really appreciate you stepping in here, man. And uh, we're definitely going to have to get you back on here again uh, sometime soon, dude. Yeah, now we just got to hope and pray that uh, I don't know. I don't know if the deadline has passed yet. Is, is Kerry Blackshear coming back to college? Has he decided yet? Uh, so from what I've seen, uh, the, the last I heard was he was still looking uh, to stay pro, uh, to stay pro. And then yeah, he didn't get a he didn't get an invitation to the combine. Yeah, that's what I'm. I'm afraid he's going to go to Europe or something like that. But if but if he comes back, what what is it all the NBA bros do? If he comes if he comes to A and M, we'll have to do an emergency pod or something <laughs> like that. Hey, I like otherwise, it, dude. Otherwise, yeah, we'll talk to you. Uh, hopefully, the season gets a little closer. Hey, can't wait, brother. <laughs> have a good one, man. Awesome. Well, for our, for our listeners out there, if uh, you liked what you heard, please don't be afraid to hit that subscribe button and leave a leave a review for us. You know, those are always helpful. And also, uh, be sure to check out some of the great content uh, we have going up over at theother98.com. Uh, thanks again, everybody, and uh, we'll see you again next time.